I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another great episode. My guest for today is Katie Barbaro, and wait till you all hear this episode. Katie is the author of a book that's just about to come out called Fed Up, an illustrated guide to food freedom. And I highly recommend it to everybody, anybody out there. It is fantastic. It is written in journal form. She illustrates it. It's really funny and it's really insightful. So you get everything. You get all the emotions, a little bit of humor, some seriousness, you know, some insight. It's just a really fun book. All right, let's just head right into her episode. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. We are here today with a really fun, creative, brilliant guest. I'm going to say it all like that, Katie. Today, our guest is Katie Barbaro. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy that you are here. And I just think listeners are going to relate to your story and also find a little bit of humor. And that's important on a really, really difficult recovery road process. And so I am thrilled that you're here. And the book that you have that is that is just about to be published and you just got your first copy, it is called Fed Up, An Illustrated Guide to food freedom, and it's fantastic. Katie, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Wow, thank you for that introduction. Let's see a little bit about myself. Um, yeah, I I am here right now. Um, the way that I've been uh, living my life is to basically move towards the core of who I am and try to let that come out in everything that I do. So I started my career as an occupational therapist and I was drawn to that because it's all about helping people live more meaningful lives. And that's still at the core of my my passion. But what I discovered on my journey and also in looking at my own disordered relationship with food and how many layers there were kind of between me and the core of who I am, I realized, oh, I need to do this for myself. And so for the past, I would say, six years, I've been really focusing on that. Um, I I was living in Los Angeles for my whole life. I moved to New York and became a stand-up comedian and like pursued my dream of acting and all of those creative impulses. And then when I found recovery, it just took it took those creative passions to a deeper level within myself. And so, yeah, I'm a very I'm very passionate about the creative process and specifically how it relates to healing and recovery. And I feel that being recovered is allowing, it's just allowing that creative life force to move out of me. You know, 
as you were talking, what I could think of was when you were saying using that creative process to move through recovery, it made me think about the fact that typically, and, and I always use my own experience, I had so much to say when I was in my eating disorder. I had no way of expressing it except for my eating disorder. So once I allowed myself, almost like gave myself my own license of creativity to live my life in an expressive way, that was a big step in the recovery process. I don't know if you have anything to say to that, but that's what was coming up. Totally. Yes. I have goosebumps hearing you say that, like, because that's it. Like it's, this is the way I often look at my eating disorder. It was something I was using my creative energy on. Yeah. And I kind of see it as this funnel. We just have all this life force moving through us and where we funnel it, where the grooves are within us that the river can flow through that determines how it's expressed. And so mine was expressed in obsessive calorie counting in binging and in, in micromanaging my body and my weight and all these ridiculous numbers. I could have written a whole thesis on the, my body size and how I, my five-year plan for where I was going to get. And I took an immense amount of creativity and the truth is that was all, like you said, there was a lot to say and express and feel that I was not letting myself, I didn't feel safe to feel the big stuff inside of me. I, I want to, speaking of creativity and all of this, so I said at the beginning, like, you know, one of the things that is so wonderful about you and your book is there's humor and there's this but there's not just humor. So I, I want to try to explain to listeners, and you will probably do a better job, but it is like reading your journal. It is written that way. It has illustrations that way. And what's wonderful about it is it's really quite insightful. You learn a lot. And along the way, there's humor put in, which, by the way, some of the things that I read in the book, which I'm going to go over in a second, they're funny. They're funny to me now because I did them and I'm no longer doing it. It's funny for me to sometimes think back and be like, is that what I was really like? And you just express it well. What was it like writing this book? Oh, that's a great question. It was like, I felt like I didn't have a choice. This felt like these stories were inside of me, kind of almost like I was constipated with creativity. I was like, it, it felt like big inside of me. And I was carrying around this like, this, this story that I, I knew had a lot of weight to it. it. It was important because it had made me who I am now. It made me who I became. And there was this temptation to overlook the dark areas of my life and just live in the light and kind of ignore the path that I took to get there. And it's, I love, I'm, I'm really happy that you had that reflection of it, that it felt like reading my journal, because that's what I did. I, I really wanted it to feel like, I'm not, I'm not keeping any secrets here. I'm telling you as much as possible about my inner world and my inner experience. And so the reason I did that is because it was other people doing that, that helped me feel confident about moving towards recovery. It helped me feel okay about the things I was most ashamed of. And so I wanted to write this book as an act of shame resilience. And I find that once I say it, once I admit it, it's like the shame dissolves. It's, it's wild. It's a powerful word. And it is true. When we say it, it sort of loses its power, doesn't it? There, there's, there's so much like, right, even I don't know if this was the first page or the third page, but you, you open it up and it's like a cookbook. And you're like, it's time to preheat the oven. And one of the things that you wrote is, the world is full of recipes for success. Then later you wrote, 
for a long time, I thought the point of life was to master the recipes of others, which were helpful for exposing me to new ingredients, but were ultimately not very yummy. And you spell yummy, Y-U-M dash M-E, meaning me. That's a hallmark, I think, of, of a lot of people with eating disorders. They look at the rest of the world and think they have the recipe, they have the instructions, they have the guidebook, I don't. So what I'm gonna do is mimic them, follow them, do what I think they did. Right in the right in the first page, I was like, I already love this book. Oh, I love, I love that. Yeah, I'm not keeping any secrets. I was like, this is what we're doing. We're dismantling this the matrix. Yeah, and eating disorders. the The discussion of it does not have to be, you know, academic or you know that it does. It doesn't always have to be dark. Sometimes it has to be just this. You know what? I spent my whole life mimicking others. I'm going to do it for myself now. And I feel like that's what you did. Did it? And and again, I'm only talking about the first page, but was there, I, I'm sure there were healing elements of writing this book, but I'm also wondering if there were triggering elements. Well, yes, I, great question. And one of the, writing this book, I started at the beginning of 2020. And that was like the pre-writing process. And it was probably right when I was living in New York at the time, New York City. And right when the city shut down is when I got my first 10 pages written that were pretty much the final pages or the final layout. And so that was, for one thing, it felt like, okay, the universe really wants me to write this book. Like you're, you're basically living alone in an apartment. Like this is just, it's you and you, like you're here. It's your time to really engage like this book is your boyfriend this is your you know this is your roommate this is who you're with right now and so it was very confronting and I went through you know so much imposter syndrome which is so so common for any profession or any creative process you know we go through this this layer of just like who am I who am I to tell this story why would I be you know um like I'm not recovered enough to write a book about my recovery. And it's all of those voices, you know, came up and I was grateful, you know, the, the way that I stuck with it was I had committed to my very good friend. This is just a fun fact that um, one of the reasons this book exists, I have to give at least half, if not more than half of the credit to um, my friend, Phil, who is a, he's my publisher and also a good friend. I met him on a, a dating app, <laughs> which turns out the reason of that meeting was to eventually, you know, create things together. Um, it wasn't a relationship. It was a, an amazing book and all of this stuff, but having him um, be like, I want to give you a book deal because you need deadlines, you need stuff. And I was like, okay, awesome. I'm, you know, having like a feeling like I had a buddy and a teammate was really what helped me, um, you know, conquer some of those self-doubt demons that I had coming up. It was like, wow, I forgot, you know, I have all these, these um, starts that I've made at creative projects in my life, but to really take one to completion, I was like, okay, I see the power of having a team, like lone wolfing it and trying to do my own thing on my own. It's, only going to get me as far as my own limitations. So it was that that really helped me break through some of those barriers. And another thing I'll mention is that I had a lot of like triggering moments and I can't really see exactly how it was related to the book, but I'm sure it was, you know, writing about all of this and then also having, you know, we're in the middle of a very confusing time where it's like, okay, I shouldn't go to the grocery store too much, like, because I don't want to be exposed. I'm like, trying to make all these survival plans, which kind of like, get me off in a weird way of like, oh, I've got to ration my food, like, a, you know, like a fantasy that I would have in the heat of an eating disorder. And so it was really 
you know, and I actually write about this in the book. At the end of the book, I was like, in the process of writing this, I needed to turn to some of these tools to like see my thoughts more clearly. I was like, I know that I'm experiencing some distortions. And for me, writing them out, taking them out of my head really helps me to stop identifying with those thoughts. The reason why they're funny is because they're like in black and white and they're not something I'm identifying with. If I'm identifying with it, it's so dark. That you just said it. You just thank you for clarifying that. That's what it is. They're funny because it's in black and white. It's on paper and it's not in your head and you're not being what's the word I'm looking for? You're not being swayed or or uh, seduced by it. Seduced. Oh, I love seduced. Yes, that's what it is. It's like my favorite word, seduction. Anyway, sorry, (laughs) I digress. What I want to point out, though, is what you just said earlier. And then I want to tie it into the story of your recovery. Because when you were talking about the process of the book, you couldn't do it alone. You had a lot of false starts. I don't know if you said that or if I just made that up. You needed a team to help you. By the way, Katie just like your recovery process. I I read through the book and I went along the journey with you and it was not a one and done treatment. It was not one philosophy and it was not alone. And you went through many, I'm going to use the word metamorphosis. I don't know if that, that really applies right here, but to get to the recovery part. And so can you share a little bit about that? Because first of all, I want to make sure listeners don't get discouraged if one treatment philosophy does not work for them. You need to keep reaching out for another. You cannot do it alone. It's long. You need a team. Can you just speak to your journey a little bit? Yes. Yes, so, so resonate with everything that you're saying. And this is what I would want anybody to come away with is this feeling like wherever you are right now is exactly right. And the things that resonate with you right now are going to take you to the next step, the next level. Recovery is not a destination. It is not even for me, it doesn't even feel like a state. It is a choice. It is a choice that you're making in the direction towards clarity, in the direction towards your true self. And you are the only one who knows what that feels like. And in the process of recovery, that's what we're kind of doing. We're tuning our own barometers for what resonance feels like when we we're just being reminded of who we really are. And it is beautiful to have so many resources available that can have the power to remind us, oh, right, I'm, I'm in here. I'm okay. I'm, I have this innate sense of well-being that springs forth from who I am. It doesn't come from outside. It doesn't come from a recovery program even. It's, there's, it's not possible. It's not possible for me to help someone recovery. It's possible for me to help them come into a state of recovery in themselves. Like all healing is self-healing. For me, the way that I see my recovery journey, it was like... Of course, like when I'm identifying with my ego, I want to get it right. When I'm identifying with that, the little I, not the big I that I am, it makes, you know, I, I'll, I'll be like, oh, for instance, I moved to New York and I'm pursuing my creative dreams. I guess I'm super recovered now. Everything's fine, you know, and it's that, that part of me that wants to like, okay, great. I did it. I'm now a real person. You know, that's always the ego talking, whether, whether you're, you know, 10 years into recovery or one day, as soon as you're like, I did it, I've made it, I'm done now. Um, That's when you're furthest away from being where you want to be. But those steps are so necessary. And I just have so much compassion for myself in all of those moments of being like, well, I did it, I'm done. And it's so human. It's so like, we want to just 
we just want to be like get the gold star be like you did a good job of being here you're a real you did it and the truth is gold star accomplished you get it right now you're here you're a person you're doing your best and that's literally all that it takes I also want to say what it reminds me of is we're always building on something else. There's always another level to go to. Now, I will say, and I mean no disrespect, I do feel fully recovered. I do feel like I have I have gotten there. I'm fully recovered. Although the emotional parts of myself that went into the eating disorder before behaviors happened, whether it's thinking about my self-confidence, my self-esteem, imposter theory, things like that, those I'm always growing on. When I think I have finally been like, aha, I finally arrived to like whatever it is, I learn more about myself. I'm always growing. And I think that is is so, I, I don't ever want to stop that. You also said it is about the person within. We, we know ourselves best. I've had clients with eating disorders who have unfortunately run with that, but in the wrong direction. And they're like, I know my body best and this is where I belong. And, and it's in a very sick body, whether it's behavioral or whatever. Once somebody has made the decision, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm ready to recover. I think that's when they're more in their power. They, they, that's when I want people to start listening to their intuition. And when you said it's in the individual, this is also when I say to people, I don't care where you go to treatment. You can go, if, if the only treatment available for you is, is not an ideal place, doesn't matter. It's what you do while you're there. You can go to the best treatment center in the world. And if you don't do the work, it's not going to, it doesn't matter. It does always come back to the person. You can go to the best treatment center and it could have the most chaotic milieu at the time. You could go to the worst treatment center, yet all the clients are recovery focused. And they all of that is second to what do you want? Do you want to recover? That's what I what I thought of. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, anything to add? Yes, I um I think that's so true. And I want to also speak to I I I want to make the language distinct, distinction. It is 100% possible to be like I'm fully recovered from my eating disorder. That's that recovery, there's a milestone. And I guess I the way that I see recovery now and my definition of recovery has evolved to accommodate who I am now too. It's like, I see recovery as being this, like, we're constantly recovering our true nature. Um, And so it is, yes, like, there is a point at which, okay, the eating disorder is no longer even, it doesn't even, it's like not a chance. That's not even like, I can't, you can't, you know, I've already learned how to ride a bike. I'm not going to like lose my balance again. It's like a motor thing. One thing that came up for me, and this is this is where I'm at now in my journey. Like my journey has taken me to, yeah, I want to find the truest truths within myself and around me. Like I don't know what that is all the time, and and being in that state of a student, you know, of of life, is what nourishes me so much. And I recently met a spiritual teacher, who, and I don't even know if she would call herself a spiritual teacher. She's just a, I would call her a master of presence. And I had the immense, and I can talk about her, Aisha Salem. She's on my podcast coming out called Casual Ecstasy. She's our second episode. Cannot wait for it to come out. Say the title of it again so listeners can hear. Sure. Casual Ecstasy. With Katie Barbara. With Katie Barbara. (laughs) Okay. We're going to get to that in a minute because I want to ask you what that's about, but keep going about your spiritual teacher. Well, one of the most profound things she said that has just stuck with me is I was just asking her like how she works or how she was describing to me, you know, she's somebody who has so much depth and presence and clarity, and she's able to tap into that immensity of, of presence. And 
she she shared she was like I just I see you the way she works with people she's like I see you where you are and the distance between us and I I hug you there I hug you wherever you need it wherever whatever's keeping you from this from this openness from this presence and this state and that's just the most healing thing we can do for any person it's really yeah meet them where they are I want to point out how far you have come and I'm going to quote something from your book so here you are now saying I want to know how who I am from the inside I want to have an internal like I I, I want to I want to be my own compass I want to be my healer I don't and again, this is at the very beginning of the book. And this is where the book is just brilliant. It's just right to the point. So you have, I'm going to call your illustrations, I was going to say comic strip, but they're not, they're illustrations. So I take that back. In this illustration, you're standing on a scale and there's somebody knocking on the door. I don't know if it's a sibling of yours. And the person on the other side of the door says, hurry up, it's time for breakfast. Your response as you're looking down to the scale is, hang on, I have to check if I'm worthy of existing today. Mm. Could not be farther. When you were in your eating disorder, yourself, your existence, your self-worth was all defined by a number on the scale. Oh, yeah. Now you're saying life is defined through my journey, where I'm at in the moment, what I have to learn, what I have to give, what I have to feel. It, it is just remarkable, remarkable. Say a little bit about your journey, Katie. Hmm. Yeah, it really touches me hearing that reflection. And... Yeah, it's like, even though I wrote this book, of course, it's to really feel into where I was. It's like, I mean, it just puts me in touch with the deepest gratitude because that was so real for me. It was so real for me, like that I was chasing something, you know, I think it was the same. It was this feeling that I was chasing. It was this feeling of feeling grateful, really. And I was looking for it in all the wrong places or the misguided places. It wasn't wrong because it got me where I am, but it was, you know, that was my path to this. And I believe that our soul is always leading us to this. Even when we're in the midst of disordered eating or obsessive thoughts or whatever it is that's <clears throat> that feels like chaos inside of us, it's some sort of alarm system saying, hey, 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 this isn't working. Hey, 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 let's get yeah, let's, let's shed this. It's not working. I'm going to show you it's not working, you know? So sometimes it's that very, if I don't listen to my intuition, life's going to show me that I'm not. So, okay. I want to, and again, I'm going to go back to another page in your book. So, and, I love <laughs> and this is, I, I loved reading this. This is me. I, I want to highlight how challenging the recovery process can be because you, my darling, fell into your healthy voice for probably a moment because I know when I was going through it, I'd, I'd be healthy for like a moment and then three days of eating disorders and fall into it for a moment, healthy, three days of eating disorder. So you try, you had a therapist that you didn't, didn't connect with. In fact, you said in the book that you ghosted her. Um, and you started, get, you said you, you're, you finally mustered the courage to tell your doctor. So this is the back and forth that happens with people. So you have courage to say something. You go to an authority figure who's supposed to help you. And you say, and again, everybody, I'm reading from the illustration. So Katie is sitting on a, on a bed. What do you call them? You know, 
Oh yeah, what are those? What are you yeah, doctor bits? Yeah. A do- <laughs> <laughs> like a I want to say a stretcher but that's for like later that's later <laughs> Katie's sitting on a doctor bed obviously Katie and I don't know exactly how to speak so well today <laughs> so Katie's just about to be examined by the doctor and you say to the doctor hey so I've kind of been struggling with bulimia dot 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 you know dot 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 the eating disorder dot 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 I'm getting help but I think thought you might want to pop that on the chart the doctor says and by the way I added the dot dot dots in there because that's a hard thing to say it took courage it took time and your doctor said I'm confused you say you're bulimic but you haven't lost any weight bam the door closes Mm. oh that's what people are dealing with and as you said in the book translation quote unquote you must be doing something wrong quote unquote i don't believe you have an eating disorder because you're not emaciated enough how did you get through that i mean how did any of us get through that back and forth but i i mean katie when i read that i thought this is funny and i have a little tear in my eye simultaneously right totally yeah and it's I couldn't feel the tear at the moment I just had I I completely like you said I love that you call it go from healthy voice to not I was like well that that was a failure I'm gonna just you know and it was I I couldn't advocate for myself in that moment you know that's what really moves me now is like okay I can so clearly see how fucked up that was in from this perspective but then I I just I didn't take myself seriously enough and what I was feeling seriously enough it was like I wasn't valuing my own experience there I wasn't valuing like wait a second I'm saying something and the truth is the way that I brought it up was probably very flippant because that's my defense mechanism I use and you know it's funny I use comedy to deflect and I can also use comedy to enlighten but I can it's it's a tricky balance and in that moment I was you know like hey yeah you know kind of kind of bulimic and um I'm awkward okay and then yeah and then it was it was a few minutes later in the appointment when she said that when she was just like you know thinking about it and I was like my takeaway was you're just dumb. You're just like, you don't know which one. This one's the one where you eat too much. You know, it was like the thing I thought was funny about it was that she didn't know about eating disorders, but like, I didn't actually see how that was an opening. That was an opening for some light to get in. And it just closed. Like you said, it just closed the door. And yeah, and it, I and that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, honestly, because that experience is not, it's not unique to me, unfortunately. No, it's it's not at all, which is why it it and and again, I think there's something about your illustrations though that just lifted off the page a little bit more than some of the other people who have written about it. There's something about the illustrations. And so I know that you also started using a vision board. How how did that help you work for you? Speak a little bit to that. Sure. Yeah, I will talk about vision boards and also going through the artist's way, which is doing vision boards is also part of something that Julia Cameron recommends in her book, The Artist's Way, which is something I recommend to most people that I encounter just because it made such an impact on my life. I I went through that book. And so again, the theme of doing things with other people, the only reason I made it through this 12 weeks of, you know, diving into my own creative process is I was doing it with a buddy. We had a buddy system. And so I committed to it um, with that accountability. And I also went to a vision boarding class with that same friend who brought it up to me and you know I I liked when something really resonates with me or lights me up that's that's what I'm talking about when I say like kind of tuning our own barometer or I know you don't tune a barometer but you get it I'm mixing metaphors um and you 
yeah, like, so basically she recommended, she was like, I think I'm going to do this vision boarding class. Do you want to do it with me? And I'm like, oh, okay. That feels like fun and expansive and sure. Um, and yeah, I talk about this in the book because it also highlighted some of my, you know, I, I had a vision, like my vision for my life was very concrete and three-dimensional. Like I want to, you know, have, I want to be a comedian and I want to be on Saturday night live. And I want to do, you know, and those things were so helpful because I was like, oh, that's my true North. Like, this is what feels right to me. But what I was kind of, um, I didn't understand at the time was that really it has to do with like an internal state that goes along with that. So the feeling that I get when I think about performing on stage or being, you know, on SNL, like that lights me up in a way that actually I have the power to be lit up all the time. And it's this sort of inner peace and this inner sense of contentment and feeling like in alignment with myself. That's what I'm really looking for. I mean, that's, that's just, uh, there's no wrong way to get there. You know, there's no wrong way to get to that state. That's, that's what I would wish for everybody is just to feel their own aliveness and their own, whatever that is. If it means doing something or just being where you are, there's nothing, there's no reason to actually chase that. It's available right now. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting way of putting it. There's no need to chase it. And what's in what it reminds me of is I would often use an assignment with clients. So Carolyn Costin, who wrote the eight keys to recovery from an eating disorder with Gwen Grab, one of their assignments is to do a journal entry about a day in my life when I'm recovered. And clients would be like, um, like I wake up in my Christian Dior bed and I put on my, you know, my silk bathrobe and I go down to my 2.2 children and my dog and the picket fence and my husband and I'm a, I'm a CEO. I don't know of what, but of something I'm a CEO and you like, they name all these things. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, that's actually still your eating disorder. That's all external stuff. I want you to write about what does it feel like to wake up one day and not instantly ruminate about food, weight, calories, exercise, laxatives, but whatever it is. I want you to tell me what it feels like to connect with your partner over a really hot cup of coffee because you're not you're not worried about the fact that it's getting late and you haven't had breakfast yet. And if you haven't had breakfast, then when are you going to have That's a day in the life of a recovered person. Because by the way, recovery is kind of just like every day. Like I wake up every morning, I have my coffee. It's not that, you know, fantastical, if that's even a real word. It's just being present, being grounded, being in the day. And that's what it reminds me of what you were referring to. And you, and you did a cute illustration in the book. I feel like I could I could just read the entire book on this podcast right now. But anyway, you are so awesome. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking of. I, I don't know. You you look like you're agreeing with it. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's this recovery is, it's the absence of the noise. It's just, it's hard to describe it because it's not because of the way that we've been taught to think of things, you know, or the way that we are, like you said, if you're in in your eating disorder and you make a vision for your life, it's going to, you know, you think there's all this external stuff that is needs to happen for you to feel a certain way. But the truth is it's opposite. It's yeah, it starts internally. And I'll also say that I think everyone, whether or not you have had an eating disorder, everyone has a layer of distortion like this around, you know, just true presence and groundedness. And so I don't think that people with eating disorders are unique in having to shed away, shed these layers of distortion and the noise, like the noise is just taking that particular form for us, or it has, and I'm grateful for it because it's like, okay, there's some people who've come before me who've known how to navigate the noise and, and slowly and surely dismiss all of those voices and those lies that are keeping me from 
just the simplicity of being here. And also being here through all of it. And again, I'm going to quote from your book, but you wrote, it's misleading to say, quote, I'm worthy of love, quote, end quote. Living wholeheartedly also means I am worthy of pain, end quote. I'm fully invested in the experience of being human. I'm not happy all the time. I am not sad all the time, but I can hope to be awake and alive in my life all the time. That's recovery. You feel all emotions. It is not just everything is, you know, bells and whistles. It is complicated. It is frustrating. It is sad. Sometimes it hurts, but you're in it and then you move through it. Mm-hmm. I loved that you wrote that. Were you imagining that if, let me take back the word if everyone, I apologize. Were you imagining that when you recovered, that it was going to be like a fairy tale? Is that is that what you were expecting? I, recovery showed me that that's what I had been believing my whole life, that my life was supposed to feel like a fairy tale. And actually recovery, when I first got in touch with what it really was, I was like, oh, oh, it's just being here. It's feeling all of this. It's being willing to feel all of it. And that is actually more blissful and fairy tale like than anything that I was, all those lies I was believing before, that it's supposed to look pretty and look linear and look some way that it's not. It's like there is a sort of joy that comes from knowing that I'm just being honest regardless of what it looks like. It might be messy. It might be confusing. It might be complicated. I remember the first time I felt that was I was in high school and one of my dear friends died suddenly. And I, it was like this, this thing that cracked me open. You know, I was just, I don't know what it was exactly. It somehow gave me permission to weep as much as I wanted. I was like, I finally had an excuse like where it was permissible to feel. And it was strange because I was very sad and I was grieving deeply. And I felt more connected to people in my life than I had ever felt before. I felt more present than I had ever felt before. And I almost felt guilty for feeling those things around such a tragic event. But that's now I can understand what it was that took me there into that presence. It was just being willing to feel it all and giving myself permission to feel everything inside of me. And it wasn't making assumptions that you were quote unquote, supposed to feel a certain way, supposed to respond a certain way. Everybody is different. Everybody responds to experiences from their own unique place. There's no one right or wrong way. Just like there's no one right or wrong food, good or bad food, you know, and, and by the way, that sort of brings me into how you fell into intuitive eating, because I know that was a a, a big shift for you. I know that you had been doing OA for a while, and that at the time had had its place, and then intuitive eating came. And so speak a little bit about that. Oh my God, I felt like I was jumping off a bridge. It was crazy. I was like, oh, okay. Like so far, it was kind of like I had been scooching along this the side of some bridge, just being like, okay, wow. Oh, I'm so alive. I'm so recovered. Wow, I can see everything from up here. And then life was telling me, no, no, no. Now you can fly. You can, you can really jump off. And I was like, I am holding on to this for dear life. I have a meal plan from a registered dietitian who's telling me what I need to eat for my body. And I had so many. And by the way, that was totally necessary and perfect and part of my journey. And I needed that. And then I got to a point where 
I, my mom, my mom, and I mentioned this in the book, my mom made an offhanded comment. And I actually just talked with her about this the other day. And she, she was like, Oh, really? I said that I made that impact on you. I'm like, yeah, totally. So I was in, I was feeling really good in recovery. And I said something like, you know, I love that I have this meal plan that I know I can follow and I don't need to worry about getting fat. And my mom said, well, what would be so bad about getting fat? And then it took a few, took a little while, but I, I knew that stayed with me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I am running on a fat phobic program. There is still more to go. There's another layer that was putting me in touch with an even deeper layer of like, oh, wow. Okay. My worthiness is still dependent on having a certain body size my, you know, I don't actually trust myself to to trust my body to eat what I want. And I knew I, I was skeptical, but I knew in my bones that some, that deeper freedom was possible around food. And I had heard of intuitive eating. I bought the book. I read it, most of it on a plane. And I was just like, oh man, all right. It's time to go to yogurt land when I get home. You know, I'm like, I need to go. I, there's, yeah, I was like, okay, wow. I, I'm, I'm confronted with even more of my fears that I, I hadn't been seeing before. What did it feel like when you were sort of, I guess I'm using the word feeling your way around living through intuitive eating, changing your concept from that of what was a fat phobic prior to now a completely more open, non-judgmental stance. How, do you remember, or you you may not, you may not remember what that felt like. I remember, yeah, I was very insecure. I was very like, it felt like I was taking steps backwards, which for me, I will say was very normal in my recovery. Many times when I was like going towards something that was out of my comfort zone, I did so taking, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. And it was like, I doubted myself so much in that process. And I will say that probably working with an intuitive eating dietitian would have sped that up. But I, instead of doing that, um, I... I actually started working with a life coach and that support really helped me. And what I was like, what it did for me was it helped me see how the principles of intuitive eating applied beyond just my relationship with food. It was actually more about intuitive living. Like, okay, this is how I want to live. I want to live and trust myself. Like I want to trust myself to know, like I, I have permission to feel everything I'm feeling. I have permission to move in a certain direction in life just because it feels right to me. Like giving myself that kind of the same, um, the same permission and like just, just undoing all of the limiting beliefs that I held around food was just a beautiful mirror for doing that in the rest of my life. And that's what eventually led me to this is the book I thought I was going to write when I sat down to write this, but I eventually, um, my, my life coach helped me to like identify all my values. And I was like, okay, what is a life that's aligned with these values look like? And I decided to basically move into a suitcase or a backpack and like start traveling the world. And that's something that would have been like beyond my wildest dreams. And I, you know what? I still had weird food stuff in the process of doing that. But I just kind of knew I was like, if I'm going towards what feels really alive and fun and me, that I'm going to be able to confront those things. I don't need to be in some fully recovered state around I'm a perfect intuitive eater. That's my ego talking, right? This is like, I'm willing to go with the twists and turns of life without a safety net, without a, you know, 
yeah, just, just trusting, trusting in the goodness of life and the goodness of what is lighting me up to propel me forward. And also, I don't want to speak for you, but trusting, and, and I don't know if some people have had the privilege of this experience, which is trusting there's enough goodness in life that it can balance out if there's darkness because your life is not all dark. And so again, it's, it's saying it's okay if I'm trusting the goodness in life and it doesn't always work out the way that I want it to, because when you're out of the eating disorder, you no longer live in each moment defines me. So if I have a bad moment, then I'm a bad person. When you're out of the eating disorder, bad things may happen, but it doesn't define who you are. And gratefully, you have enough positive things that are happening that you don't drop into despair, hopelessness. Does that make sense? I know what I'm trying to say, Katie. It's like it's all in my head and I can't get the words out correctly. You are articulating it so beautifully. Yes, I like a 1000%. And what makes me feel safe, the safety in myself comes from being willing to face anything that comes my way. Knowing that I can trust me to be here with me through whatever bad days I have, that's it. That's recovery. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's it. It's I it's as big and as small as that because part of an eating disorder is to not feel and not look at what's uncomfortable. And knowing that you can sit in discomfort and knowing that you'll move through it, that to me is what I am incredibly grateful for for my recovery. I also know that if I'm in darkness. I can reach out to others for support as opposed to reaching out to my eating disorder for more darkness. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the other reasons why I did the podcast, because again, I don't, you know, I've had clients that would come into my office and say, my life is still really hard. So I obviously failed at recovery. And I'm like, oh, no, you're just now recognizing that sometimes Life is really hard. You've been avoiding all of this. You've been not wanting to see it. Sometimes life is really hard. Go ahead. Yes. And what's interesting is actually being able to feel what's painful and hard is a sign that you are recovering because your nervous system is trusting you again. Your nervous system is relaxing and is saying, I have a greater capacity to feel. I have a greater capacity to handle the bigness of whatever is going on inside here. So that's also how I see recovery is growing our capacity. You also, and forgive me, I'm sort of bouncing around. You have a greater capacity to acknowledge when you've made a mistake. And the reason why I'm saying this is because one of the things I was going to ask you, Katie, is and, and we're going to have to end in a few minutes. Like, where does stand-up, where does the eating disorder fit in in your stand-up routines? Like, do you ever bring that onto the stage? And I remember one of the things you wrote in the book is that you did a show somewhere. And forgive me, I don't know if it was at a school or whatnot. But after you found out or you imagined that some of the stuff you said was triggering to some of the people in the audience. And the first thing you did was own it, walk right up to that. I'm going to use the word mistake, but walk right up to it and acknowledge it to the person who was in charge. And you wrote a letter and said, I want to apologize. And please tell me what I can do to make it better. Mm. That's also being recovered. You're not pretending, oh, no, 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 nothing's wrong. Or you're not going, ah, oh, forget about it. I'm not even going to deal with it. I'm sorry, I said something that hurt someone. How can I make it better? What can I do? That's recovery. I don't, again, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but I just thought of that in the book. Yeah, thank you. That's a, yes, taking responsibility for my actions and my everything inside of me is what freedom feels like to me. 
So what I would be most afraid of before is like, oh my God, somebody doesn't like me. Oh no, oh no, this means something bad. It's like, when I take responsibility for my part, you know, my intention was not to harm. Actually, the person who came up after me, it was it was a college show and the college student um, who like spoke after me said, wow, Katie, you're a bundle of triggers. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's, I need to put that on my next business card. But like, it's also, you know, I was like, I, I totally understand that. And I, you know, and I have an understanding around triggers now that that's pain that someone else needs to feel, but I'm here part of what, and this maybe ties into what we're talking about um, with the darkness and being there for that. I'm okay with triggering people. And I'm also here to hold them in their pain. And I'm here to, I'm not going to peace out. I, you know, if something that I say stirs something up in you, I want to honor you by being here with you through that. So that's kind of what it felt like in that moment where I didn't feel like I had done something wrong. I didn't feel ashamed, but I wanted to acknowledge what had happened. And that's a way that I, I approach a lot of conflict in my life or if there is ever conflict, you know, we're here in relationship with each other to help ourselves feel what needs to be felt inside of us. Katie, it 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 is really, it's it's been a pleasure. I, I did want to touch base. I said I was going to come back to your podcast and I know I just took a really hard turn, but we are coming to an end. Say a little bit about the podcast that you have coming up. Sure. Um, the My new podcast is called Casual Ecstasy. And it's about accessing this kind of presence, what we've talked about the whole time. And some of the episodes will be just with me, some will be with um, people who inspire me who light me up. But my, uh, my wildest dream is that you would listen to it and just feel a little bit more excited to be you. And if you want to work with me, you're also welcome. I have a self-guided with the option of coaching. I have a creative spark um, journey that I take people through um, on how to unlock your creativity. It's like a, a six-week uh, six process. Um, so that's also an option. If you feel called to doing some of this work yourself, you can find that at katiebarbaro.com slash creative spark. Fantastic. And everybody can can get all your information on the show notes. So please, everybody go and see what Katie has to offer. Katie, I have one more question for you before we end. But before I ask that, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything that you didn't say that you'd like to share? Oh, I just want to share how grateful I am to have this conversation. It really, I feel so grateful to be um, to be here with you. And I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing. You're impacting so many people, including me. I feel very touched by this experience. So thank you. Katie, thank you so, so much. You're you're doing work that touches people. So I, I say right back at you. So thank you. So before we end though, Katie, my famous question is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? Katie made me feel so excited to be me. Love it. There it is. <laughs> Katie made me so excited to be me. Fantastic. Katie, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you, Karen. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Stay safe and take care. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.